what is the gospel? Like if I were some dude just down the street and then you were like doing that evangelism stuff, right? And then sometimes um, when we do say certain statements, it could sound vague though to a stranger. Mm -hmm. If you just say Jesus, they'll be like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> you know, especially when you're in China, they don't know what that means in certain places. So how, how would we be able to elaborate? So to make it a little bit more interesting, now I'll throw out this question. If it's all about loving God and loving people, then why did Jesus have to die? Or why did Jesus die? Did he have to die? No. Someone says no. Yes. <laughs> Maybe. Right? So why did Jesus die then? Because I mean, without Jesus dying on the cross, I could still love God and love people. Right. For our sins. Right? For our sins. To free us so we could be like him. Like to free us to be like him, to be like God. And it showed how far he was willing to go to show how much he loves us. Okay. Where his life for us. Right, right. What would be different though with that than someone just being a martyr? Right. Or what about Gandhi? Mm -hmm. right. Gandhi didn't reconcile us to the Father. Okay. So what, what's his whole idea of reconciliation? So does that mean that we were separated? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There needs there to be reconciliation. Okay. Yeah. Do I need? <laughs> you know, like you'll speak to a lot of people now. Yeah. They'll be like, I don't. I'm okay with God. <laughs> you know, like I don't believe in your Christianity, but I'm okay with God. You know, what do you mean yeah. I need to be reconciled? You have your stuff. Just respect my own faith. So, so how do we break this down for someone that's just not into the whole Christian thing? It's like as if we're trying to show people you have a problem. Let me show you the solution. <laughs> yeah. But people don't want to hear that. Yeah, that's true. Especially when their life might even look better than yours. Mm -hmm. Just to be honest. So does it even matter? Mm. I'm just asking a question. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm just asking a question. Good question. Yeah. Uh, does it matter? <clears throat> yeah. I, I don't think the I don't think God made the made made the decision to have him come down and stand there stand on a cross and die if it didn't matter. Yeah. If it was just trivial, why would he even send something exactly. to it? Mm -hmm. right. mm -hmm. So why did he die? I think it comes down to intimacy. Intimacy, okay. He was able to, you know, from his death, send his spirit, and okay. then his spirit was able to come mm -hmm. into us. So sure. it's like multiplying himself okay. within us. Okay, mm -hmm. that's after the cross. Mm -hmm. So why the cross? Why the cross? Why did he have to die? Yeah, I was going to okay. say the shedding of blood is was the ultimate sacrifice, and okay. it had to be God's blood okay. was to be shed in order for our sin. So. Okay, so in what sense though? So if Jesus died on the cross for our sins, mm -hmm. what does that mean? Does that mean that He has to have blood in order to forgive? I want you to think about that statement though. So can you forgive your child when they do something dumb? And do you need blood every time you have to forgive them? And if not, why would God have to do that? But Jesus did it once though. He did it okay. once, so it covers. But wouldn't that also seem like Jesus needs to be paid off, or God needs to be paid off, like He, he just can't freely forgive? Are you guys following me here? Because I mean, like, if somebody hurts God, if somebody offends God, right? And then someone needs to pay. So of course I get what you're saying. Like Jesus is a central point for everybody. But still though, at that time, why would God need blood in order to forgive somebody? Well, covenant always requires okay. blood. 
There's life in the blood. Okay, in what in what sense? There had to be bloodshed in order for there to be a new covenant. Okay. So that the old could Definitely be completely, you know, In what finished. sense, though? Mm -hmm. In what sense? Someone that just doesn't, they're not familiar with Bible talk. So yeah, like that, right. You know, mm -hmm. sacrifices, what's that all about? <laughs> you know, like, mm -hmm. think about that, though. So, I mean, okay, there's a new, why does someone have to die, though? Or did he have to die? He willfully died. Okay, he willfully died. He took a, you know, he laid down his life. But did he have to die? There's a big difference. So why death though? So what you're saying seems to talk about how he mm -hmm. kind of showed this example. In fact, in the early church, there's something called the moral example, understanding of the atonement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really interesting because when we think of the atonement, you guys familiar with that word? Yeah. Atonement. Atonement, yeah. There are many views yeah. of what that means. Yeah. And the predominant view that's in America is actually rejected by the Eastern Orthodox Church, which is really interesting. Really? And I was trying to see what you guys would say when I was asking you guys, you know, how would you summarize the gospel? Mm -hmm. If you were to say that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and I, I'm trying to find out, so what does that mean though? What does it mean that he died for your sins? Then someone will say, well, God sacrificed his own son. What does that mean? Does right. that mean that he just let his son go down to earth and save people? Or did God actually kill his son for our sake, right? What's, what's going on there? If God would give us a law to show on how we can't fulfill it, so Christ will come and fulfill the law on our behalf, why would we be blamed for it if He already knew that we can't do it? <laughs> Good question. Why put us in a situation like that? It's just like, why is that even fair? Right? Yeah, why is it fair that we get to take, we take on Adam's st stuff? Yeah. There's I always I thought yeah. that I've been <laughs> 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 not not, not only that especially when you look at a lot of um, the way the gospel said today just from one little sin now let's just say this is a typical version that we hear your child reaches an age of accountability whatever that is right. 14 15 I <laughs> they reach a certain age no matter what it is even if they haven't even murdered anybody they just have a bad thought of hate they deserve hell wow. right I mean that's the gospel right doesn't matter if you never murdered anyone it starts here, you're actually a murderer already. If you just had a sexual thought, you're already committing adultery, and you deserve hell, and unless you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're gonna be in hell for all eternity, folks. You better receive him now. Now to make it even clear, if you think of the gospel like this, so God loves everybody, He creates this world. Then, because of our ignorance, or whatever you might call it, we sin, we break a law. Because of that, because of the sin that we broke God's law, God now demands some sort of justice to be done. Because you can't just let sin go unpunished, right? So what He does is that He sends His one and only Son to what? Die. To die and be punished on our behalf so that there will be some sense of justice that's accomplished, okay? Is that the Gospel? <laughs> and is that what you've heard? Yes. yes. Definitely what I've heard, what, what we've heard, for sure. So how would there be justice? So like Hitler is just going to get away with it? Right? I mean, shouldn't there be some sort of punishment? Right? Where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was, was that when God's wrath was poured out on his son? That was, there was a temporary separation, so to speak, between the father and son. Why? Because he bore our sins upon himself <laughs> on the cross. So, so why would he say something like that? I don't know. Was it was he punished on the cross I for our sins? Was that? Sorry. 
No, go ahead. I think he, I think he felt separated. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In his mind, okay. he felt separated from God in his mind. Like we felt. Okay. Like, like I felt that before. He identified with us. Mm-hmm. David said the same thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, like he. Psalm there's 22. always times okay. where we feel like God is not there. Um, a sacrifice like some sort for, of sacrifice for the remission of sin. So when Jesus became our sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, who killed him? We did. Yeah. We did. He gave yeah. up the ghost. Or the father. Because God sacrificed his son. He gave his life. Yeah. He did, but so what does he killed him, right? So we killed him, or was it God? But or it was both? in God's plan. So what, what is justice then? Okay, so if, if Christ lays down his life, that's an example for us, right, of how much his love is willing to go to that degree, right, to that extent. Where's the justice, though? Justice, like, look at all the stupid stuff people did, <laughs> right? Or even people now. Where's justice? Just because he died, I could get away with it, I guess, right? Of all these bad things that I can get away with. Where's justice in that? So what, what what is the whole cross all about? Is there justice happening at the cross? Mm-hmm. Justification. Justification, okay. In what way? In what sense? Taking away condemnation. Taking away condemnation. That we brought on, not that us, brought, but that the fall, okay. in a sense, brought upon our minds. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> How many of you guys have read the book of Romans before? Yeah. How many <laughs> notice a difference in some of the chapters in the beginning and the portrayal of God and yeah. the second half of the Book of Romans. Mm-hmm. What kind of God is there in the beginning of the Book of Romans? What judge, judge, judge. Talks a lot about the W word. Mm-hmm. His, his what? His wrath. His wrath. That doesn't sound like a lot of the nice ways we describe God to be like. Mm-hmm. Judgment's coming. Gay people, watch out. That's what it's, it's in there. Because like when you think of justice, automatically, how many of you have heard of penal substitution? It's an interesting word. Term, right? What is penal substitution? That's basically Jesus took on our punishment. Took on our punishment. Okay. So he was pun- was he not punished then for sin? Because doesn't sin demand or justice demand punishment? Mm-hmm. So for my stupid sins that I did now, Jesus Christ back in the day he took the hit for me. Mm-hmm. So was God not just then? Mm-hmm. In what sense then? Because it seems like we're, we're redefining it according to the modern understanding of justice means you get what you deserve. Right? But at the cross, what, how is justice accomplished on the cross? By reconciling the cosmos to himself. Okay. So it's not about being punished for our sins. But the sin required punishment, though. Because like I said, would you just let is Hitler it, get away with it? I don't know. Is it punishment or is it consequence? I don't know. Okay. Like, I think there's a difference. Because if God really needs blood to be shed, He just can't forgive you. He needs blood. How do you explain Jesus forgiving people all the time? There's no blood. He didn't even die yet. Remember the guy that was paralyzed and they took him to the roof? <laughs> hey, I forgive you. Even OT right? guys got forgiven. Yeah, what about Jesus before He even died on the cross? He says, Father, forgive them. Or did God say, no, not yet, not until you die? <laughs> so what, what does that really mean that there needs to be blood shed in order to be forgiven? And what is real justice anyways? What is justice? So if like if Jesus died for our sins, which is I'm going to be focusing on now, maybe what does that mean? 
He died for us to be punished for us. Look, open your Bibles to the book of Romans. And I want to give you guys a perspective of Romans that I think might be new for a lot of people. Okay. When you read the book of Romans, especially verses, uh, especially in chapter 1, you're going to read a, a, a kind of God that doesn't look very nice. Or at least you'd better be afraid of this kind of God. Right. You guys familiar with that? Okay. Yeah. I could just read little things here and there. Uh, these people were, were giving themselves over to unnatural, you know, sexual desires, etc., etc. And Paul's telling them of the wrath that's to come. There's, there's going to mm -hmm. be judgment. Now, instead of me just asking all these questions to you guys, we just, just I want to share a little bit of my heart of what I think is going on here. There's been a change in recent scholarship of how to read the Book of Romans. Because usually when you read the Book of Romans, you're going to think, Okay, we, we, we believe God has got of love, but you better be careful because there's going to be God's wrath and God's justice for all the people that are doing horrible things. But when you read Romans chapters 1 through 3, it's going to look very different from 5 through 8. Mm -hmm. It's as if Paul is just very schizophrenic all of a sudden. <laughs> Sounds like God. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so what I'm, what I'm willing to argue here, and recent scholarship is saying this now, is that there's a difference. Paul is addressing an audience, especially Romans chapter 1, of people who are crying out for God's justice and His punishment to sinners. He's addressing a group. Okay, He's responding to people that are wanting judgment and Paul's also being accused of libertinism. Okay? Just do whatever you want. You're under grace and stuff like that. Shall I sin because I'm under grace? You know, I can do whatever I want. I'm forgiven much. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, so he's responding to these types of accusations. So when you look at Romans chapters 1 through 3, like I said, he's, he's addressing a group of people that are crying out for, for wrath and punishment for the Gentile sinners, right? And then Paul turns it around. And he says, what, what about you and your own sins? Then you might as well get the punishment as well too. You guys getting what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So he's not saying that this is the way God is. He's responding to the peace. It's kind of like the Socratic method. You believe God is like this, blah, 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 blah. Well, okay, we're all sinners. So, I mean, these people are all bad and sexually immoral. God's going to punish them. It's as if these Jews were crying out for punishment for these outside Gentiles. And then Paul flips it around or turns the tables around and says, well, then you should get it to them. And then he paints a different understanding of God in, in chapters 5 through 8 of what God is really like. You see, that's a huge shit for a lot of people because we automatically assume, wow, okay, God's wrath is coming one day, blah, 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 whatever. And then all of a sudden, five through eight, God's this nice one who saves us through Jesus Christ. And he's greater than Adam. So I, I would encourage you guys because it's so long. I'm, I don't want us to read the whole book. Try looking it through that framework. Mm -hmm. In chapter three, it talks about in verse 25 that God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. And he did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. And he did this to demonstrate his justice at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Now check this out. He's saying that the fact that he left the sins of the people in the past unpunished, he demonstrated his justice through that. that that's totally opposite of how we think. That if your sins are unpunished, that's not justice. But here God is or here what Paul is saying in Romans chapter three is the fact that he left those sins unpunished is that he demonstrated his justice through the sacrifice of Christ. How does that make sense? Chapter three verses twenty twenty five and on. NIV? Okay. Yeah, this is NIV. You don't have to No, I was just curious. It's fine. 
You see that? He presented him as, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate justice, yada, yada, yada. Then it says, and he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished, and he did this to demonstrate his justice? That's the complete opposite of how we think. How did he demonstrate his justice by leaving the sins unpunished? Mercy. Mercy. Because justice is very different in God's mind or in the Hebrew mindset than the way we in America have justice. Okay. Now I'm going to lay out this just a little history lesson. When you think of penal substitutionary theory of God punishing his own son on the cross for our sins, that's a, that's a predominant view in America. If you read, and I don't like mentioning names, if you, but if you read some of the top Christian authors now, they will say, and I've heard this many times, if you don't hold to penal substitution, you can't be a Christian. Wow. I could, I could give you names, but I won't. And this is how narrow we've gotten. And when you look in the early church, folks, there's no penal substitution. Did you know that the penal substitutionary theory of God punishing His Son for our sake because He loves us, right? That understanding of the gospel is only 500 years old. But if you look in the early church, it was never there. And isn't it interesting that the gospel sounds like this, that God is kind of like some sort of judge because you broke a law. And because of His love, you're judged, right? He's going to take off His robe and go in the, the, the electric chair for you and lay down His life for you. You guys heard of that illustration mm -hmm. before? Well, then if He paid the punishment, there's nothing for God to forgive. Exactly. Now imagine, because they, we wow. always talk about that there needs to be a debt that needs to be paid. Because of our disobedience, we cannot live this righteous life, so we owe God this debt. And the only one that can live it out is Jesus Christ. And then when Jesus lives it out for us, He forgives us somehow. Now I want you to think about this, folks. If God only forgives us because the debt was paid, what is left to forgive? If you, if you owe me money and you can't pay me, and then Sean here says, I got you. You represent Jesus Christ. Me, God the Father, I got my money. How would that even make sense for me to forgive you when I got what was owed to me? Let me tell you what real forgiveness looks like. Is that if you screw up towards me or if you owe me something, and I tell you, you know what, because of my mercy, I forgive you. That's forgiveness. But it's really letting interesting. Go of the debt. It's, not easy it's letting go of the debt, mm -hmm. right? So when you look in the early church, folks, there's so many theories that were there of the understanding of the, because everyone believes that Jesus died for you, but just what does that mean? And there have been, there've been uh, several major understandings of the atonement. For example, in the beginning, at least the predominant one during the early church was something called the Christus Victor view. Yeah. Meaning that when Jesus died on the cross for you, it wasn't so he could be punished by the Father, but it was to defeat sin, yeah. to defeat evil, uh -huh. to defeat Satan. Right? To defeat death. Right. To defeat death. So now we have no fear of death. Right. Because, he are, not, because of our sin, he entered our sin. He entered our darkness, so now we have nothing to be afraid of because now He identified with us. We have nothing to fear. Oh, death, where is your sting? Mm -hmm. Okay, Because He raised all of us from the dead with Him, whether you believe it or not. It's the truth, right? Now, here's what happened in church history. There was a dude named Anselm. <laughs> because of his culture, he lived in a very feudalistic culture. Not so much punishment, but that we did owe God a debt, though. It's called a satisfaction theory. So because of our disobedience, we, go, we owed God a debt, and then Jesus Christ lives the life on our behalf, and now He satisfied that. So it's called a satisfaction theory. So that was in the early church at one time. Then you move over a few hundred years, and then you reach the Reformers. <laughs> now you guys are familiar with the Reformers, right? Mm -hmm. You have guys like John Calvin too. That's when penal substitution 
was on steroids, basically. He took Anselm's yeah. understanding of the satisfaction theory and took it up a notch. And that it wasn't just that you were disobedient to God and that was your debt that needed to be paid. Sin needs to be dealt with. It needs to be punished. And so through that legal framework, that's how we got the gospel today. Because now all, the gospel is all about God is a king. He's a judge. You broke his commandment. You broke a law. Now because of your sin, it demands justice and punishment. Jesus takes a punishment for you. It's like a court system. And the interesting thing is that John Calvin had a legal mind. He had the mind of a lawyer. And so when we start using the gospel, reading it through that lens, sin is all about breaking a law. But is that really the whole idea of sin? Or is sin something deeper than that? And that's why penal substitutionary theory is, they, they would accuse my understanding as being very shallow of sin because they would say, no, it has to be punished. Christ took our punishment for us, Josh. But I'm saying if, 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 if justice is all about being punished, that's a very shallow understanding because just like my brother over here was saying, sin, there's, there's something wrong when people, when, they, when people commit a crime and they, go, they get locked up in prison, punishment doesn't solve the problem. Those things when people act out stupid things, those are just symptoms. Yeah. Right? Well, how many of us were bullied in school? Some of us were. Do you know why those people bully us? Because of their insecurity. <laughs> because they want to overpower you. Right? They like feeling powerful. So we can look at that as a sin, but really sin is not about breaking a law. Sin is something deeper than that. And so what if when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't about Him being punished for our sins, but healing us from sin, which cleanses us. Right? Because sin is not like it's breaking a law, but it's like this, it's this sickness, like if you put a piece of fruit, like the apple that we ate th this morning, if you just put it out there for a couple days, what's going to happen? It's going to rot. <laughs> right? That's what sin did to humanity. And what God does, He takes broken humanity, puts it into Himself, buries it, and gives everybody new life. Wow. So we can see the Father so we won't be sin conscious. Oh, poor little me, wretched me. I'm a sinner, a wretched sinner. <laughs> see how that'll make your life look really great when you think of yourself like that. When we see ourselves as a righteousness of God, because when you look at the gospel now, it's like I said, it's in a very legal, it's a legal gospel. It's all like judicial terms. You break a law, a commandment, justice. God demands this and such and such. Holiness is about being squeaky clean. But what's really interesting, if holiness is all about not sinning, if God is holy, how would we understand that when there's no sin in God? If it's all about not breaking a law and sin. And so we've lost the relational gospel. What if holiness wasn't about being squeaky clean? But what if holiness was all about being whole? That wholeness is about being unique and beautiful and wholeness. And not about, oh, I didn't lust today. I didn't have a bad thought today or steal today. But it's a relational understanding of who God is. Instead of this legal framework of justice demands punishment. So Jesus was punished on the cross for my sin. You guys following me? Yeah. What's going on with all these sacrifices? What's going on with justice? What is real justice, okay? So if you... Who's the one with the Micah one? Are you? Now, before she reads, what is justice according to our mindset in America? Getting what you deserve. Punishment. Getting what you deserve. Now let's look at the Hebrew mindset in the Old Testament. Okay, if you can read it. 
He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And another translation, to love kindness, is another word for mercy. See, what people do, especially in the West, they make, they make a false dichotomy, dichotomy between justice and mercy. You either get what you deserve, or you get mercy. Yeah. One or the other. They split up the two. God's justice is mercy. That's why when you look at Romans chapter 3, what we were reading earlier, saying that those sins that were left unpunished, God showed and demonstrated His justice through that because it wasn't about punishment. It was through what? Mercy and making people holy. Making people righteous. That's justice is when you take those things that are wrong and not punishing it because that doesn't solve anything in the end. But it's restoring, as my brother was saying. And making all things new. That's why when you look in the prison system, I'm telling you, folks, it doesn't change much unless there's reform here, inside. You don't punish somebody for 10 years, 20 years, they get out, they're still the same guy, unless there's something that changes. That's not true justice, it's restoring. It's like Peter when he screws up and he denied him. He says, no, Peter, it's okay. That's the justice of God is when you take those things that are wrong and you make it right. And you won't find penal substitutionary theory in any parable in the, in the Bible. Imagine when you look at the story of the prodigal son. The son squanders the wealth and does a bunch of stupid things. But remember, there's still a good son, right? Now imagine the good son tells the dad, Yeah, my brother here, he even got prostitutes, he squandered the wealth, yada yada. But God, you know, uh, Father, why don't, you, why don't you beat me up and hurt me? So you don't have to hurt my son, uh, hurt my brother. Right? That's not what happened. What did the father do? He just forgave. He just embraced. And through that, I believe, was the change. It's not through punishment. And I do believe in consequences, though, so I'm not saying just do whatever you want. There will be consequences, but like I said, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. If you're, if you're a jerk, <laughs> right, you got to look over your shoulder because you're going to have to watch your back once in a while, right? Making sense, right? Now, with those verses that I, that I gave you guys, can you read it, anyone? With the Psalms? Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burn offerings and sin offerings you did not require. It says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You, you do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is, broke, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. So from those verses that we read so far, and I could give you more, what are they saying about sacrifices? God, God doesn't, want doesn't care. God became the sacrifice. Yeah. You see the difference? The latest theory that's come on the scene is what is called the scapegoat theory. And this is by Rene Girard. Rene Girard is still alive today. And the scapegoat theory is very different. That the sacrifice is not so much about punishment, but it's talking about the scapegoat. Mimetic violence or mimetic desire. For example, humanity in general. Mimetic desire is basically that you have something that I want. It's natural. That's not a bad thing, right? You have something, I want it. But eventually, it will end up in violence. Because I'm going to try to get what you have. Eventually. Cain and Abel, right? When you think of those kinds of stories, right? Okay, right here. How many of you know that story of the king that was going to cut the baby in half? Mm -hmm. You guys know that one? Yeah. Okay. So what happened? For those that are on YouTube live that don't know that story, what, what happens? Two women were arguing over a baby and he brought him before a king and um, he's like, 
and they both said the baby was theirs. So the king's like, okay, I'll just divide the baby in half, and you can get one half, and you can get one half. Yeah. And the true mother said, oh no, just give give the baby away, and that's how he knew who the who the rightful mother was. That's the gospel, where God says, I'm going to lay down my life for you. And what he does is that he becomes the, the, the ultimate scapegoat exposing your violence, not God's violence to the son. Because when you keep using violence to solve violence, it's only going to perpetuate. Yeah. And the only way you can do it is stop and bring peace. Right? Yeah. And that's why Walter Wink was saying that the people in the, in, uh, when you read Romans, when they were calling out for this God of wrath to bring judgment on these Gentiles, He's calling that the myth of redemptive violence, thinking that violence solves violence, and it doesn't. See, the only wrath that Jesus suffered wasn't the wrath on the, of the Father because the God the Father loves us so much He punished His own Son. He suffered the wrath of humanity, saying, I'm not going to retaliate back. He lived His words. I will forgive those who hurt me. But I guess God the Father can because He needs blood. Very different Father compared to Jesus Christ, right? So what does that mean? Look at Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9. We know that in the book of Hebrews, the blood and bulls and ghosts can never take, a, take away the sins of the world. And it says in verse 22, 9.22 of Hebrews, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So the focus is not, see, someone needs to die and be punished or else there's no forgiveness. The focus, if you look at the context of it, it's not talking about they need punishment. It says that without the cleansing, and what the, what the blood does, it's not about, it represents life, as our, as our sister was saying. It's not about being punished. That wasn't God's focus. It wasn't His heart. It was through the death, that through His death, He's making you holy. Verse 10, He's made you perfect forever. Verse 14, He sanctified you. In verse 13, that's what the blood does. It cleanses you. It makes you a new person. You are a new creation. You are not this filthy sinner okay, covered by the blood. You are not covered by the blood. Grace. You have been given new life because of the blood. If you only knew who you are. Now. Not when you repent. Not when you change your mind and say, sorry, forgive me, Lord. You, already, you have already been given new life. In His Son. Because of His blood. God's justice was to restore you. Just like the sacrifice with Abraham. With His Son. I believe that's like the heart of God. What He was saying. <laughs> when He stopped them, right? Don't do it. I believe God's heart was just like, I'm not that kind of God. Just like the, those people during that time. What do they do in the Old Testament? Their mindsets is in pagan culture. was about, It was about appeasing an angry God. And yet, Christians in our in the Western world, we took that same mentality that we need to appease an angry God. The same mentality. Because His heart is always mercy and grace. It doesn't mean that He just leaves it undone and says, I just forgave you, I just keep doing what you're doing. He takes that which is wrong and He fixes it. He restores, so to speak. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's not like a pastor. <laughs> okay. What else is there? It was meant to purify us. Okay. Let's talk about the word wrath. Okay. Here's what I've been hearing from a lot of people. God is a God of love, but He's also a God of wrath. John. What's the problem with that, with that statement? 
Yeah, I know God is God of love, but don't forget, guys, He's also a God of wrath. What's wrong with that? Yeah. Why? It's as if they're separated. Look at it like this, folks. God is what? God is love. The essence of God is love. And you feel it too. Right? If the essence of God is love, then everything that He does is love. Including His Justice. Justice. But automatically we assume anger. He's pissed off or whatever, right? I don't know if you guys know Steve McVeigh. He made a good point about what wrath really means. When you look at the word wrath, when you look at it in the original language, the Greek word is what? It's a funny word. It's orge. Right? When you look at the word orge, and then you look at two words that come from that word, what do we get from that word? You get orgasm, you get orgy. Do you think of anger? <laughs> what do you think of that word? No. No. And then when you look it up on the internet, which praise God for internet, you don't have to be a Bible scholar now and go to school, right? You could just look up the original language of what the word wrath means and there's different definitions. No doubt there is a definition. It could be anger depending on the context. But at the same time, it could also mean what? A violent emotion. Yeah. An intense emotion. Just like the words that I was mentioning about an orgasm. Or like an orgy, yeah. right? We're all adults here. And so what if God's wrath is like his violent, intense love for us? Wow. That's it. And that's, I hate it when people say the wrath and the judgment is the same thing because they're so different. And what if his judgment no is mercy yeah. and grace? And grace that his anger will not endure forever? Wow. That's right. His mercy endures forever. <laughs> and that's why it, it could look like wrath to some people's eyes, as I, as I was mentioning it, like the, the Eastern Orthodox Church looks at hell as if it's two experiences of the same fire. Right? Imagine if one of your kids are playing with a snake. Steve McVeigh shared this story. Like if, you, if you're playing with a snake, you see your, your child or your son playing with a snake or with a bunch of bees. What are you going to do as a parent? You're going to run <laughs> and try to save your kid and try to take the snake away from them. But in your kid's eyes, they'll see mommy or daddy with the fire in their eyes trying to protect them. And that's what God does. That's why God doesn't want us to sin. In fact, He doesn't even want us to be sin conscious, man. <laughs> what He's looking for is your heart. All He wants is your heart. 